Welcome to RaiderCast, the Tomb Raider podcast which delves into the myths, monsters and mysteries of Lara Croft's world. And it's the mysteries of the missing that we'll be investigating in this episode. Not every Tomb Raider game ends with everything wrapped up in a neat little bow. You can think of them as plot holes, but I prefer to think of them as missing pieces and loose ends. Mysteries that endure, unsolved, which fits nicely with some of the larger gaps in knowledge that Lara has deemed... Some things are not meant to be found. With the proposed unification of the timelines that Crystal are working on in the background, everything is currently up in the air about what will feature. It's clear that they're aiming for a new timeline, in which all of Lara's previous adventures occurred. Although, we don't know how many of the finer details of Lara's past will make it into the story. As an example, we have multiple retellings of the story revolving around Lara and her parents, which yes, I know many people are utterly done with, myself included, but to illustrate my point, we don't know if they'll go with the story from Tomb Raiders 1-6, to where Lara's parents were alive but she had been disowned, the legend storyline where Natla killed Richard and Amelia died in Helheim, or the survivor storyline where Amelia died in the wilderness after a plane accident and Richard was assassinated by Trinity for pursuing research into immortality, resurrection and lost cities. My bet there would be that they will follow the most recent and more fleshed out version from the Survivor trilogy. But what about everything else from the rest of the series? Uniting the timelines to create a brand new one opens several intriguing doors to the past, and it makes it completely possible for characters to return and previously unanswered questions to be investigated with fresh eyes. So, in true Raidercast fashion, let's go through the big list of unfinished business from across the series to speculate what could come next. Right off the bat, what can we say about Tomb Raider 1 from back in 1996? Well, honestly, I think this is unfortunately a little null and void, because it'll likely be from Crystal's anniversary game, as it tied into their Legend and Underworld games. They simply have more stock in their retelling of the story, so we'll start with Anniversary. I know it's out of order, but the game was released in the context of a prequel anyway, so here goes. The story revolving around Lara discovering the Skion, Atlantis, and unmasking Natla as its queen is nicely complete. Nothing new to add to those particular parts, however, Natla gleefully stated that the pyramid was just one remnant of Atlantis, I will find another, before having been temporarily hindered when Lara dropped said pyramid on top of her. We know Natla can't die, and we've seen her since, so I'll get back to her a little later on. The other Atlanteans, though, Lara distinctly sees Qualopec move in his ski on chamber. Just for a split second, he rises out of his throne as if disturbed from a millennia of slumber, and is then sealed inside when rubble collapses in the doorway. Sucks to be him, right? Apparently immortal, but paralysed, unable to do anything. Just sitting in a dark room for the rest of time. Do I think we'll see him again? Nah. Likelihood rating 1 out of 10, but not impossible. He's still there waiting. Tihokan, on the other hand. Lara opens up his tomb to find nothing. Dust. Stale air. Was he ever in there? We don't know. There's a chance this was only a facade, a fake tomb, a folly like the monastery far above it. But then why would he leave his piece of the ski on unguarded? 
If he was buried there, then we can assume he got up after a nice long nap of a few thousand years and then went on a walkabout. We haven't seen him since, at least not that we know of. And part of me still thinks that at one point they were planning to revisit him and his story. But we absolutely definitely still could now. He could pop up anywhere. Can the Atlanteans change their form? Can they shapeshift and disguise? We know at least Natla has three forms, her humanoid form, her demonic form, and her winged humanoid form as seen in Underworld. So there's a chance he could be wandering around in modern day, looking like a completely regular, albeit very, very tall, person. Time will tell. Likelihood rating? I'm going to give this one a 5 out of 10. It was a big moment, and there's a fair chance this story thread could be tugged at in future. So skipping forwards in time, Tomb Raider 2 and the Dagger of Xi'an. The storyline is relatively thin during the game, revolving around an Italian cult called Fiamanera, or the Black Flame, and their leader, Marco Bartoli, who follows his family business and the footsteps of his father to retrieve a dagger with the power to turn its bearer into a dragon, if they're courageous enough to plunge it into their own heart. And all of this comes to pass. Bartoli achieves his goal. He finds and uses the dagger, transforming into a giant dragon, and then... Lara instantly steals the dagger and he perishes, melting away like perfectly cooked chicken falling off the bone. God, I'm hungry. Anyway, everything here seems nicely wrapped up. At the end of the game, Lara sits on her bed inspecting the dagger, and at that moment the Fiamanera, or the remnants of Barsini's cult, attacks. They storm Croft Manor, Lara being Lara, shoots the lot of them and takes a shower. So what did she do with the bodies? What did she do with their vans? Does Winston have a side job as a cleaner, tidying up Lara's gory mess and taking vehicles to be crushed and destroyed so no evidence of Lara's misdeeds remain? Quite possibly. Regardless, the issue at hand is whether Crystal decide if Lara actually wiped out all of the Fiamanera here, or if some of them still remain out there, waiting for their chance to steal the dagger from Lara's treasure hoard vault. Likelihood? Low. 2 out of 10 that we'll see them again? Quite unlikely, but not impossible. There's more of a chance that we'll just hear them referenced, rather than seeing them again. Tomb Raider 3 is surprisingly all wrapped up. Villains dead, objectives complete, artifacts discovered. The story of the meteorite artifacts from Antarctica, Four featured in the main game, the Eye of Isis, the Aura Dagger, Element 115, Stone, and, as a bonus, the Hand of Rathmore, all discovered by Lara across her globetrotting adventure. Then the meteorite itself in the crater, surrounded by ancient Polynesian sculptures at the heart of the lost city of Tinos. It was a flipping massive meteorite. Are we to believe that the ancients only took five shards from this enormous space rock? Five? It's not something I've heard people speculate about in the past, but honestly, why would the Ancients just have stopped at five? I'm picturing way more artefacts out there crafted from fragments of this very rock, but how would Lara know? Unless someone specifically told her this artefact was made from that same meteorite, honest, I don't think she'd know. Likelihood of plot elements arising or returning from Tomb Raider 3? 
a low rating of 1 out of 10. I actually can't see this one happening myself at all. However, if you want to know more about the grand unifying meteorite theory that I pose links all of Tomb Raider across time, then go and check out the Endgame episode if you haven't already. Season 1, Episode 5. There is much more to the gemstones and meteorites across this series than you might have expected. The Last Revelation was the first game to introduce a proper continuing story spanning multiple games, and within it, some new story elements and loose ends can be found. From the beginning in Cambodia, we're introduced to world-famous archaeologist adventurer Werner von Croy. And you will do as I say! During their expedition through Angkor Wat, they discover the Iris Artifact, a mysterious object made of randomly rotating concave shells encasing a bright yellow stone <coughs> meteorite, <coughs> which holds the power to teleport people between different places. It's kept in Lara's treasure vault after she later steals it from Von Croy Industries, and was effectively nothing more than a symbol of rivalry between the two treasure hunters. But what it actually was, who made it, and why it was in Angkor Wat, all of these mysteries remain as loose ends. For me, it's one of the coolest stories never told from Lara's past, and I wish we'd got more information about it. It's recently popped up again in the Croft Manor DLC of Power Wash Simulator, so I'd assume it's still on their mind. Likelihood rating that it actually will appear again? I'm going to go for a cautiously optimistic 3 out of 10. It's still quite low and quite unlikely, don't get me wrong, but I hope we see it again and some backstory is written for this ancient treasure. A big question mark hangs over two other primary characters in this game. The gods Horus and Set. Both of the ancient world engaged in an everlasting war against another. Horus had Set imprisoned, Lara released him because she was selfish, impatient and greedy, like a magpie for shiny things. Set interrupted Lara's attempt to summon Horus at the end of the last revelation, and Horus didn't truly manifest. Or, if he did, it was only for a few moments. In came Set's spirit, and seems to disperse or vanquish Horus. Lara, rather than try to fight a god, chooses to escape and use the good old amulet of Horus like the locking mechanism as it was intended, and sealed Set deep underground. And he's still there. An immortal god. Cheated. Furious. Trapped. Stomping around, throwing bolts of energy at the wall, and likely cursing the name Croft. The point is, He's still very much alive and physical, and all it would take is one errant, greedy archaeologist or treasure hunter just to steal the amulet and out would pop Set, full of rage and thunder as the embodiment of revenge. And if he does, Horus help Lara. Likelihood of seeing Set again? Unfortunately, I'm going to go really low with this one as well and say 2 out of 10. It's not quite as low as it could be, considering the spin-off, Temple of Osiris, tried its hand at very loosely, vaguely retreading some of the same steps taken in Tomb Raider 4. The point is, at the end of that spin-off, Set is held prisoner, also not destroyed. Osiris quotes, Set will try to break free and do what? The Underworld will not hold him forever. Set's still out there, so it's not impossible. Finally, Lara falls beneath the pyramid a famously missing piece of time between the end of The Last Revelation and The Angel of Darkness. But all I can do here is direct you towards Murty Schofield and the Tomb of Ash to check out The Myth of Elhawa. That story fills in the gap, written by the official writer, and is narrated by Lara's voice actress, Janelle Elliott. 
In Lara's flashback episode, Tomb Raider Chronicles, we're introduced to a couple of new faces who are close acquaintances of Lara. Charles Kane, her old history teacher, takes a trip down memory lane to tell the story of how Lara discovered, but didn't successfully manage to keep, the Spear of Destiny. When that particular story ends, the spear sinks to the bottom of the sea in the wreckage of a submarine, a weapon of immense power left hidden amongst the debris of an underwater wreck. This one always struck me as odd. It's such an immensely famous object, and Lara fought against some high-profile military mafia types during this mission. The type that, should anything have happened to them or their vessel, a distress signal certainly would have been sent out for backup. See, I don't think Lara's idea to just leave that world-altering artifact to the bottom of the sea was the greatest idea she's ever had. So could we see Charles Kane or even that artifact again? Damn right! I think I'll have this hovering around a 5 or 6 out of 10 mark on the likelihood scale. One of Lara's closest friends and also a very discoverable and easy to access artifact for any willing villain with a submarine. High chance. Another new character came in the form of Father Patrick. He told the story of Lara's teenage adventures on the Black Isle as she fought and defeated the demon known as Verdile. Now, I don't expect we'll see Verdile again, but Father Patrick survived the ordeal, and he could easily be incorporated again. Someone with knowledge of demons and the dark mysteries of the world could fit in quite nicely into a future story with Lara. Likelihood? Yeah, I'll go with 4 or 5 out of 10. He might not be the most memorable or highest profile character, but he's certainly available to reappear. Onwards to the Angel of Darkness. As one part of an intended trilogy, we're missing out on a lot here, and I mean a lot. Please head over to MurtyScofield.com to get the full dose of what was left untold, because I'm only going to cover a few things here. First and foremost, the game ended with Curtis injured and missing. However, his psychically controlled Chirigai sprung to life when Lara picked it up, and seems to point her in his direction. So yes, Curtis is alive. Canonically, Curtis did not die. His story was to continue, as there were still sleepers out there, and Nephilim left to destroy. Though Curtis has such a rich backstory and depth to his character, he wouldn't solely have to be tied to his story from the Angel of Darkness. His path could cross Lara so easily, and as one of the biggest supporting cast members in Tomb Raider history, and as the only other character we've ever had a chance to play as apart from Lara, combined with his unique skills and function as an independent sidekick, Likelihood to see him return? I'm going with an immensely strong 8 out of 10. Von Croy dies at the beginning of this game. It's the primary catalyst for the rest of the story and can't be ignored. Von Croy is dead. However, he still played an immensely massive role in Lara's past, and you know what? If the developers are paying attention, they could easily have a flashback to Lara's earlier life and feature an unseen scene or a memory or two. Lara brushes broken glass off a photo of her and her former mentor, showing an adventure or a discovery we'd never seen before. Isn't it about time we saw that scene? Or any other? Please? I just really like his character and what he means to Lara, and would love, love, love to see him again in one form or another. His dead status makes it unlikely he'll pop up again, but Crystal have shown their predilection for flashbacks in previous Tomb Raider game so it's really, really not out of the question that we could see a Von Croy flashback. 
There's certainly room for both Werner and Roth in Lara's backstory, so I'm going for a hopeful 7 out of 10 chance of this, due to his importance during Lara's formative years. And if you want more, there's also the fact that Corel was supposed to have survived the end of the Angel of Darkness and went on to cause more havoc for Lara and Curtis, but that's a whole other story. Again, go and check out the files on mertyscofield.com and read up about Corel, Morgau, Castle Kriegler, Cappadocia, the Xenoath, and the sequels. Now, Let's dig into the Crystal Era, starting with Legend and Underworld. A few big mysteries stick out to me from these games, so let's investigate all of them. First up, something I've mentioned before, but I'll go there again, the Queen of Tiwanaku and King Arthur had both been sealed inside giant crystals. Who do we know has the ability to do that? Tihokan. Who did we actually see seal Natla inside a giant crystal during the flashbacks in Anniversary? Tihokan. Who was missing from his tomb? Tihokan. I absolutely believe, without a shadow of a doubt, that we were meant to believe Tihokan was behind these events. Tying into legend that Tihokan was Tanupa, the wise shaman who watched over the Queen of Tiwanaku and eventually sealed her in a crystal, and at a later date, he was Merlin, the wizard who guided King Arthur and eventually sealed him in a crystal too. He was adopting new identities throughout history, guiding important historical figures. The game even remarks at the similarities of the myths. It's laying out the breadcrumbs for us to follow. So the implication is that Tihokan was alive, at least he was thousands and thousands of years ago, and then around 3,000 years ago in Bolivia, and still alive around one and a half thousand years ago, and honestly, finding out he's missing? That Atlantean mischief maker is still out there, like I said, mark my words. Second, the dioceses themselves. What do we know about them? They can be found in Bolivia, England, Nepal, and the apparently ancient Norse underworld known as Helheim. They're activated by keyblades, effectively. Sword-shaped stone artifacts, which are slotted into the device and cause a stone circle to rise up and generate a portal. Removing the sword causes the user to be transported to Helheim. Doing the same when in Helheim seems to transport the user to Nepal. Why? That's just one part of the mystery. Who built these dioceses? That's another part of the mystery. Did they predate Atlantis? Quite possibly. We know they were an ancient travel network, yes. But the one thing, the big thing that nobody seems to talk about, is that young Lara was speaking to adult Lara in real time. Like FaceTime. The dioceses aren't just a wormhole travel network through space, but also through time. This is a definitive instance of effective time travel within the Tomb Raider series. It links people across time, across years. Why are people not making a bigger deal about this? With the unification of the timelines, so much becomes possible again. We know teleportation exists in Tomb Raider, both in the classic and the LAU series. Now time travel could exist again. People with the ability to conjure crystals out of thin air exist in Tomb Raider again. While Lara's primary objective in the Legend Underworld story is complete, she discovers the truth of what became of her parents, and in particular, the events which led to the living death and zombification of her mother. But you know what else is really cool and about to become canon again? At the end of Legend, Lara removes Excalibur from the dais in Bolivia. 
at the end of Underworld, she uses one to travel from Helheim to Nepal, and then takes it home with her. Lara Croft has two f***ing Excalibur swords, not one, two. Let that sink in. Forget dual pistols, let's go full dual Excaliburs. Oh, and in case you missed the DLC, there's a big chance you did. Just a couple of little points. Lara's doppelganger was set loose and unbrainwashed by Lara. She ran straight back to Natla and watched as Natla was engulfed in the zombie-creating eater substance, and that's how the anniversary legend Underworld story concludes. Come the unification of the timelines, Lara's doppelganger is still out there roaming free. A Lara clone out there in the wild. And Natla? Natla's immortal, she didn't die. She suffered another nasty setback akin to her being sealed in a crystal for a thousand years, or having a pyramid dropped on top of her, but nothing she won't inevitably escape from one day. There's a massive chance we'll be seeing her again. So, likelihood of all or any of this resurfacing in the future? High. This is getting another 8 out of 10 for me, will at least get references to this story, if not actually discover the true fate of Tihokan and see Natla again. Finally, onto the Survivor Trilogy. Aside from the Angel of Darkness, these games seem to have the most lore crammed into them than any other Tomb Raider game. Conveyed over a mixture of discoverable documents, cutscenes, and recordings. The sheer volume opens the door for considerable storytelling outside the game, but honestly, a lot of it has already been covered. What happened to Sam and Jonah and Reyes after the events of the reboot? The comic series and book dive pretty heavily into these, and even featured a final showdown between Lara, Sam and the lingering spirit of Himiko. That's actually pretty done and dusted. If we want to talk about the fact Lara discovered that immortality and the soul are real, and those concepts with the core plotline for Rise of the Tomb Raider. Interestingly, one little piece of Rise stands unexplored within the Survivor trilogy, the Divine Source. The source of immortality within the game is engraved with ancient Atlantean glyphs. Look at the pictures of it. To look at within the game as a standalone design, one might think nothing of it, but within the context of the series, especially considering Crystal unifying the timelines, this is Lara's first interaction with an Atlantean artifact. So, even that is pretty much tied up and needs no further explanation in future games, however, the likelihood of seeing more remnants of Atlantis one day in the future? Absolutely 10 out of 10 for this. I have no doubt there it is literally the core of Tomb Raider. Pun slightly intended. One further thing from this trilogy could easily fit into the box of loose ends. Everyone loves a good villain, and for two whole games, the faces behind the Order of Trinity remained unmasked. The revelation in Shadow of the Tomb Raider that Dominguez was the leader of the Order let us explore them a little more, but only really in as much as their sub-branch as the cult of Kukul Khan within Paititi. At the end of the game, the High Council is allegedly wiped out, along with a good deal of their soldiers, and so, in the interest of this episode, I'm going to ask the question, are they really gone? 
Their origin story went largely unexplored in-game, and I definitely wouldn't be adverse to finding out more about these artifact-hunting zealots. If the next game in the series is going to take place after all the established game events, we're looking at a game set at least around... 10 to 15 years after the events of Shadow, with Lara at the height of her powers or abilities, for lack of a better term. Whatever remained of Trinity could certainly have reformed by then, and of course, there's always the often overlooked angle that seems more than a little suspicious. The Trinity means three. Three things. Three people. Three gods. Not unlike the Triumvirate of Atlantis, and given the stronger link to it, the Trinity was historically the actual name of the nuclear test which accidentally released Natla from her crystal prison. Coincidence? I guess we'll see. So there we are, thank you so much for joining me on this little exploration of missing pieces, loose ends, and unfinished business. Tomb Raider is rife for storytelling, and there will always be omissions and gaps in time to generate intrigue and to get us thinking. It'll either be for a narrative purpose or to give you the freedom to wonder and imagine to make up your own snippets of headcanon. So I really wanna hear what are your own theories about the truth behind the things that were never told? Because after all, we're Tomb Raiders, and we love nothing more than to explore the mysteries of the past. <laughs>